Thank you for tuning into Stepping Stones of Faith. Stepping Stones of Faith is a ministry of Claytonville United Brethren Church. Our service times are as follows. Sunday morning Sunday school starts at 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship starts at 10.30 a.m. If you would like to join us for any of these services, our address is 106 Elizabeth Street, Claytonville, Illinois, 60926. We hope to see you this morning. Good to see everybody today. God is good, amen? Today is Pentecost, 50 days after Easter is Pentecost. So today we're going to be in the book of Acts, be looking at the baptism of the Holy Spirit today and what it signifies and what it means. So the book of Acts, if you're in the Red Bibles, it's 943, we'll be in 942, but 943 is the page number that I can see here. And we're going to be looking, huh? Acts chapter 1 and 2. So 9, 943. We're going to be looking at some theology today from a book here that I got from seminary about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what it signifies and what it means. But we're going to start in chapter 1 and we're going to look down and go down to chapter 2 and looking into that as well. Now, if you remember, <clears throat> Jesus had come back. He had been resurrected. He had taught for above, above 500 people for 40 days. And at the end of his time of teaching, he ascended to heaven. And in that time of when he was ascending, he told them to go and wait until they're endued with power from on high. And we see that here in chapter 1 in verse 8. <clears throat> So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Now they're now thinking, because he's ascending to heaven, he's going to come back and he's going he's to set up the kingdom of, of, of Israel, restore all of it to what it should be. Still thinking that Jesus was a conqueror, Right? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you shall receive power when you, the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Now, Jesus says a couple things here in this particular passage. We're going to unpack this particular verse. <clears throat> It is not for you to know the times or the dates which the Father has fixed upon his own authority. So, what does that mean? Well, how many people have heard people say, well, the world's going to end, what was it, 2012, right? And then it was going to end sometime after that. My mom remembers times in, 19, in the 1940s when they said the world was going to end and People kept their kids home from school and things like that. Jesus said right there, it is not for us to know the times or the dates which the Father has fixed on his own authority. 
So if you hear today people say, well, the world's going to end on a certain date, just let it go. No man knows the day or the hour, Jesus said. Not even the Son, only the Father knows. And so when we think about those things, when we think about these prophecies and these, these things that are happening this day and age, it is a cycle of things that happen. People tend to get hyper-spiritual and they begin to then predict the end of the world or predict whatever, whatever. Jesus said right there, it is not for us to know the times or the dates. He says that. And then he goes on and he says, but you shall be receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. Now, understand that these were, this situation that he's talking about, being endued with power from on high, filled with the Holy Spirit, this is different than being born again. When Jesus breathed on them and they received his spirit, that was the born again experience. This is talking about something completely different. This is a, this is a um, outpouring of the Holy Spirit <clears throat> upon them to be witnesses <clears throat> and to do greater things. Jesus told them, greater things shall you do because I go to my Father. Because the reason he said that was for this particular purpose. They did great things also. Yes, they healed the sick and they raised the dead. But with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they can then uh, have more authority, be more bold um, in, in, their, in their faith and in their service. Verse 9. When he had spoken these things, while they looked, he was taken up, and a cloud received him from their sight. While they looked intently toward heaven, as he ascended, suddenly two men stood by them in white garments. They said, Men of Galilee, why stand looking toward heaven? This same Jesus who was taken from, up from you to heaven will come in the like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So this was a promise and a challenge. Why are you standing here looking up into heaven, gazing into heaven? He gave you, an, he gave you a, a proclamation to go and do. Why aren't you going and doing? The same Jesus that is taken from you up into heaven today will come back. So that tells us there is going to be a literal second coming of Jesus Christ. He will come back in form, bodily form, on the last day. He told them to go into Jerusalem so they're endued with power. They're looking, well, what do we do now? He just told you what to do. Get going. Go to Jerusalem and wait. Get going. Isn't that what God tells us today? We get saved. If we, if, if we have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we have that. Isn't it supposed to, aren't we supposed to be going and doing something? Witnessing. At least witnessing. Sharing our faith. God calls us to do that so that we'll be witnesses. Now, what does he say? Now, he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. 
in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Very important that he names these three things. Jerusalem. It's where they were from. Right? So, for us today, we're to be witnesses within our own family. Right? Our core unit, we're to be witnesses. And with that witness that we have within our core family, the core family going out and ministering will witness to others around us, our communities, our nation. So it is important as a church, as churches, that they get this as well. We are to be witnesses to Jerusalem. We are to be witnesses to one another. And as we do that, as we bolster one another up, and as we lift one another up, that then causes us to then want to go out and share our faith with other people, affecting our communities, our neighborhoods, our state, our world. So it's important that he said those things because we are not islands unto ourselves. We are not islands unto our, this local body. We are, we are to be beings that are going out and preaching the word and others to come in. So then he goes on, talks about Judas's successor. And then it talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit, and this is where we get into the theology. When the day of Pentecost had come, 10 days later, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a mighty rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared upon, uh, to, to them tongues as of fire being distributed and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit became, gave them, enabled them to speak. <clears throat> Here's the important part. That's important, but this is, this is as equally as important. Now dwelling in Jerusalem were Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. When the sound occurred, the crowd came together and were confounded because each man heard them speaking in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygeria, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the regions of Libya near Cyrene. The, and, 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 and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own languages the mighty works of God. They were all amazed and, 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 and perplexed, saying to one another, does, what does this mean? Others mock them. These men are full of new wine. Now, let's look at this for a moment. They were going to go out and they were going to witness, right, to Jerusalem, Judea, and all the all nations far off. Isn't that what they were doing in that moment? 
There was everyone, every nation devout tongue from, 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 from every nation. And he went and named all the nations. Now, these people had heard it. They will then go to their nations and tell what happened. This, this exponentially grew the church in, a, in an instant. 3,000 were added on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 souls were added to the church on the day of Pentecost that were there. 3,000 that were there. Imagine what would have what happened after all these people got back to their, to their countries and their cities and their communities and told what went on. Now, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, let's, let's talk about that for a moment. They're hearing it in their own language. Some of the things that are talked about in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it sounds to us like uh, gibberish or things that we don't understand. There, that is one way that God uses that native tongue in order to minister to us and edify the body. But he also uses real language sometimes to edify a certain group or a certain person. God can do whatever he wants. And all these people heard in their own languages what was being said. So, he, so the Spirit was not speaking Asian, or the Spirit was not speaking Roman, or the Spirit was not speaking, it was speaking, and they were all hearing in their own native language. The power of God in that moment, changing that in their hearts and in their minds to understand what they were talking about and what they were saying. If you notice... It doesn't say anything about the mocking ones where they were from, but it just says these men are drunk. So did, they, do, did these men believe? Probably not. Did these men believe in God? Probably not. They speculated that they were drunk. But a lot of them heard with their own, heard their own language, which would indicate a couple of things. It would indicate that they were either believers, number one, already, or number two, they were ready and willing to hear from God, whether they were believers or not. They were ready and willing to hear from God. Do you know God speaks to people even when they're not believers? God can minister to people even though they're not believers because in, a, in an instant, in a moment, they're ready to hear from God. Therefore, God then gives them the ability to hear Him when He speaks either through his word or through someone else or through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. God can do that. And God does that on a regular basis. Now, let's look at the significance of this. Understand, before we get into that, there was above 500 people in the upper room. 500 people plus in the upper room. How many was there at the day of Pentecost? 120. 120. What does that tell us about human nature? It tells us that some people don't go to things like this, don't do things like this for a real purpose. It's for themselves, not for God. Over 380 people left 
It's too long. It took too long. Does that sound familiar? How many days was Moses up on the mountain? And the children of Israel got upset because he was taking too long. And so they built their own God in a golden calf. And this was happening here as well. Their own, their own God became themselves. <clears throat> Self became their God. I got too much to do. I got to leave. It's taking too long. I got a farm to run, or I've got sheep to look after, or I've got whatever the case. Self became their God, and they left. But 120 of them stayed. And these were the ones that God chose to pour upon his spirit on these 120. Now understand, there was men and women in this situation, in this particular upper room. Women also got their, got the baptism of the Holy Spirit because the women were ready. Their hearts were ready. So, with all that being said prior to this, we'll go into the theology part of this. Now, don't fall asleep. Theology can be pretty boring, but don't fall asleep. This is exciting to me. <clears throat> all right? Stanley Horton is the author of this book. Uh, he's one of my favorite theologians, one of my favorite writers. Got a lot of his books. But this is one that speaks, speaks specifically on the, on, the, on the events of the upper room. He starts off, We must not overdo the distinction between Old and New Testament fillings any more than the distinction between an initial baptism and fillings that follow. Though the Pentecostal experience was a distinct advance, neither the book of Acts nor Paul's epistles contain any suggestion that the spirit, uh, that the spirit they experienced was different from the spirit of God who filled the Old Testament saints. You understand what that means? It's the same God in the Old Testament that's doing this in the New Testament. The signs preceding the Pentecostal outpouring connect, connect it with, old, with the Old Testament experiences as well as with the Old Testament promises. The day of Pentecost was an Old Testament harvest festival. For the church, it marked the day when the long-awaited spiritual harvest would begin. And we see that with 3,000 being added to the church that day. <clears throat> but before the outpouring of the Spirit came, two unusual signs gave further connection to the Old Testament symbolism. First, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, Acts 2.2, when we read that. Though there was no actual wind, the sound filled the house. Wind was a frequent symbol of the Spirit in the Old Testament. So even God is bringing them back to their native Old Testament teachings. The fact that it was the sound of a violent wind, a wind, that, a wind with carrying power, also suggests that this was more than a breathing of the Spirit in regeneration that brings new life. Again, it speaks of power for service. So this wasn't the Ruach when Jesus breathed on them to accept the Spirit. That was different. That was the born-again experience. This was not the born-again experience. This was something that was brought about for power of service. 
<clears throat> the appearing tongues of fire that separated and came to rest upon each of them in verse 3. Separated means distributed. What happened was that something appeared that looked like a mass of flame over the whole group. Then it broke up and, and a single tongue like flame settled on the head of each of them. This in no sense was a baptism of fire, nor was it judgment or cleansing as some suppose. These were people whose hearts and minds were already had been opened to the teachings of the resurrected Jesus. People filled with joy and, the pra and praise to God. People who were already cleansed, already responsive to his word, already united. The fire here must be connected with the old judge judgment of must not, be must not be connected with judgment and cleansing, but with another aspect of Old Testament symbolism. So, what is he saying? He's saying basically this was not judgment. This was something we're going to read here in a moment. The Old Testament records a progressive development with regard to worship. First, it was simply at an altar, as with Abraham. Then God commanded his people to build a sanctuary in the wilderness, the tabernacle. Fire from heaven came down on the sacrifice there to indicate God's acceptance of this new sanctuary. But it happened only once. The next change came when Solomon built the temple. Again, fire came down and consumed the sacrifice, indicating God's acceptance of the sanctuary. But it happened only once. The temples built by Zerubbabel, and by Herod were just rebuildings of the same temple, so the sign was not repeated. Now the Old Testament, now the old temple was about to be destroyed. God allowed a 40-year overlap until 70 AD. The believers united together as the body were, were living sacrifices. So Christians and, and those that were they were living sacrifices. Romans 12.1, where it would be living sacrifices, as well as priests and living stones for the temple, 1 Peter 2.5. But in another sense, the new temple was twofold. The body of believers united together is the temple, the sanctuary, for the dwelling of God and his spirit, Ephesians 2.21 and 22, 1 Corinthians 3.16. In addition... The bodies of the individual believers are each a temple or sanctuary of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6.19. The appearance of fire came over the whole group to indicate God's acceptance of the whole body as a temple. So understand that he is signifying the understanding of it is the whole body. They are, they are, a, they are a temple God accepts as a group. Then it broke up with a single tongue on the head of each, of each to show God's acceptance of the body of each, of each as a temple of the Spirit. So, <clears throat> what was happening? He was giving them re recollection of Old Testament promises and prophecies. The Old Testament prophecies and promises, the wind, the fire. Not only did he accept that, that group in the upper room as a temple, but when he split off, 
in each one was over each one. He was accepting them as a temple to house his spirit. Then came the baptism. Then came the fullness of the spirit. God was accepting them to house his spirit in that way. And that was different than the indwelling of the spirit at salvation because this spirit was used was to be used to help become a witness used to help to bring people to Christ in a more powerful way so they were accepted in that they were given the ability to be recognized by God as individual temples to house his spirit and to become those witnesses now some might ask well why why would we want to do this today what is the reasoning for this today why do we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit does it keep you from heaven no just like baptism doesn't keep you out of heaven the only thing that keeps you out of heaven is an unrepentant heart who is not sold out to God if you have if you have not given your life to Jesus Christ you are not going to heaven but that is the only thing that can keep you out of heaven the baptism of the Holy Spirit is just more of what God wants you to have. It doesn't keep you out of heaven if you don't have it. If you're not water baptized, that does not keep you out of heaven. That is just an outward expression of an inward change. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that God wants all of his church to have. Why? Because we see in this story 3,000 were added to the church in a single day. And who knows what was added beyond that when all these people went to their own countries and their own communities. It is empowerment for the service of God. Now the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that you, know, you see on television and you see people going crazy in the church. You know, dancing and jumping over things and uh, and some, some churches, and they're, they're out there, handle snakes and drink poison and all those things. Understand that is not truly the, this manifestation. You can, be, you, you can have the baptism of the Holy Spirit just being who we are. All we have to have is a, is a desire to accept it a desire to want it, a desire to do more for God. We don't have to be hyper-spiritual. We don't have to dance and jump over pews and all these things. We just have to be sold out to God and desire Him fully. And when we do that, if we desire the baptism of the Holy Spirit, God can give that to us. And believe me, it is a wonderful experience. And it is something that I cherish and I remember very well and I still use to this day. I use my spiritual language to speak to God when other words aren't there. I use my spiritual language to edify myself in times of distraught. God uses those things and we can have that. We just have to desire it and want it. And we have to, and we have to accept it. Now, I'm not going to do a thing today where I'm going to call everybody up that wants to receive and I'm going to pray over you. I'm not going to do that for you today because this is a lot to handle, a lot to take in, a lot to think about, a lot to consider. But what I want you to do today is I want you to do your own research. I want you to think about it. I want you to pray about it. I want you to read about it. I want you to study it out. 
and just see if your heart grows a little bit more closer to God and the desire for this begins to grow. And then if that happens, then you can go to God without me praying over you and say, God, this is what I want. And God will do it. It's not me doing it, standing up here praying over you. That's not me giving it to you. It is God giving it to you. Therefore, it is not me doing it. It is God doing it. So you can do it at home. You can do it when you're laying in your bed. You can do it when you're doing whatever you're doing, making supper, making lunch, in your prayer time. It is God who gives the Spirit not man. And so it doesn't matter if we're in front of the church and we're having a group pray over someone. It doesn't matter. God's the one who gives it. And if we truly desire it, God will give. So I want you to do your own research. I want you to pray about it. I want you to seek God for it. I want you to ask God. If you're feeling, if you're feeling uh, strange about it or you don't understand it, talk to God. Ask God to give you clarity in what it really means. He will guide you in the resources you need to understand it correctly and understand that God desires for you to have this. This is something God de de desires for us to have, to be full witnesses of Christ. And I'm going to leave you with that challenge today that you Seek out God. You ask God to give you an understanding of his word, an understanding of this topic in his word, that you seek it out. You talk about it with others. You pray. You talk to God. And if it is something that you want, God will give. Does that make sense? So I'm not going to pressure any of you to come up here and stand in the front and accept the Spirit because that's not how I operate. I don't want you to accept it or to seek it out out of obligation. I want you to accept it and seek it out because of love for Jesus and a desire to know Him more and fully. There is more we can do. There is more we can have in God but we have to desire it. We have to want it. He is not going to force us. And therefore, I am not going to force you to come up here and get prayed over. He does not force us to accept anything. All I'm asking is that you truly consider it and research it and read about it and, and talk about it and pray about it and ask him about it and allow him place in your life to show you and to guide you into what it really is all about. Amen? Let's go before the Lord in prayer, shall we? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've given to us. Father, help us to continue to desire you. Help us to desire more of you. Help us to desire the... the, the, the the, the fullness of the Spirit and speaking in tongues. Lord, I pray that you'd bless us, that you'd minister to us by your Holy Spirit today. Touch our bodies if we need healing and wholeness, Father. I pray you'd touch and bless that as well. Bless and touch our hearts, our minds, our emotions. Just give us, Lord, peace today. Give us grace with one another. 
Help us to celebrate you today. And Lord, we thank you for that. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Stepping Stones of Faith. I pray that you find value in this content. You can also find an audio podcast of this program on all the major podcasting platforms. Just type Stepping Stones of Faith into the podcast search bar. Once again, I'm Pastor Josh. Thank you for joining me today.